Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and this week, uh, I'm really, really excited to share the episode. There is so much in here that that I'm really excited to talk about. Um, So I'm talking with an athlete named Rebecca Walker about an just incredibly epic adventure she just had uh she just went down to antarctica uh and helped guide uh, a blind brazilian runner named vladmi dos santos um for the racing the planet series uh so there's a whole bunch to dig into here uh rebecca is an emergency physician from stanford um she actually worked a lot of races for the four desert um the four desert races from racing the planet as their uh their doctor so the person who's kind of designing their medical plan um and so a couple things about this if you don't know a lot about the four desert races uh there's an excellent documentary called desert runners that's where i was first exposed to it but essentially, there are these four races around the world and some of the most absolute, beautiful, brutal, um, isolated places that you can go on Earth. Uh, and so that would be uh, Atacama, Gobi March, the Sahara. And then finally, the last desert is Antarctica. Um, and Rebecca is kind of the perfect person to help these races from the medical perspective because she her focus is working internationally uh, with emergency care systems uh, in all sorts of different countries so she basically studies uh, a variety of countries emergency medical systems and do you, so you combine that with being in the middle of the desert and having to help out people who are putting themselves through an extreme race I mean these are 250k uh stage races over you know over a week and she's one of the people that are responsible for you know helping out people if they get themselves into any sort of trouble um last desert in antarctica she was more of a participant um so her whole whole thing there is she's guiding this this incredible athlete um vladmi who had finished three of the other deserts and now he's trying to conquer antarctica at this point and vladmi is a blind runner and so she partners up with him and is going to be his guide through ant the antarctic race um which is really cool and a couple episodes ago i talked about uh you know my new year's resolution is just helping people and supporting people and encouraging you know and being that person who's going to be the why not person you know so someone comes up to me and says hey i want to run through antarctica um i need some help you you're the person who's like yeah why not man let's do it uh and so i think rebecca's story here is the perfect example of that um you know, giving yourself to help someone else accomplish their dreams. And Vladmi sounds like an absolute, incredible, inspiring person. Um, so definitely, I de- totally encourage you to check out, you know, his story and, you know, some of his stuff. And I'll link some of that to the show notes too. Um, also huge, like racing the planet. This company goes to, some of the most incredible places in the whole entire world. Um, So check out their website. If you are like looking for an absolute major adventure, I mean, this is uh, their races. I haven't participated in in any of them at this point, but they seem like they would be perfect for that. Um, they go all around the world. You can check out their website, uh, but they go like everywhere you possibly could imagine. Um, and yeah, and I guess, you know, if you've heard the show before, you know, I love trail running because it takes you to these, you get to explore the outdoors and 
racing the planet their whole series it's like exploring the world by foot you know the antarctic glass desert there are qualifications to get in i think you have to do um some of their other races previous but i cannot imagine a cooler race literally and figuratively (laughs) um but i cannot imagine a cooler race than heading to antarctica to run a stage race so let's get right into it um thank you guys for tuning in thank you so much rebecca for sharing your story and this is the like a bigfoot podcast number 129 about the last desert in antarctica with rebecca walker This week on the Like a Bigfoot podcast, we're going to talk to Rebecca Walker. And Rebecca just got back from an amazing adventure uh, doing a stage race in Antarctica. And more specifically, like going down there with a purpose and a reason and guiding someone and helping someone finish his dream as well, which is super cool. So welcome to the show, Rebecca. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, we are just talking moments ago. So you used to work as like one of the medical staff for uh racing the racing the planet series yeah i i volunteered a couple of times as the physician for this company called racing the planet um out of hong kong and they do stage races all over the world in a series that's called the four desert series so yeah i started out kind of volunteering as a physician and then just needed to do one myself yeah. How did you even hear about it? A couple of other physicians at Stanford had also worked with the same company. And so like Grant Lipman from Stanford and Jeff Peterson, who used to work at Stanford, kind of told me about it, I think, and got me hooked up with it. That's awesome. It's just, it. I've looked at their races and I've watched the Desert Runners documentary and it just seems like such a amazing experience, like because it's combining travel with this really cool adventure aspect and challenging yourself physically aspect and all of that. So, um, like, what is it? What is it like being a physician? Because you're in the middle of of the deserts, like in the middle of Sahara, you know, in the middle of just all over the place. Like, what is that like? Like what kind of things do you have to prepare for and all of that? Yeah. As a, as a physician and physician for, you know, 200 to 300 people. Yeah. Yeah. Into the middle of the desert. There's, there's quite a bit of logistical challenges with that, like figuring out where you would evacuate someone to um, and taking along the adequate equipment to prepare for different types of emergencies. And we can kind of predict a lot of the emergencies that might happen. Um, But one of the unique things about this race series is that they really try to pick places that are super unique. And those tend to be very difficult to even get to. And so that adds a little logistical challenge to the medical side of things too. Some of the draw of the trip as a physician or a runner or, or all the runners, I think is that it's so sometimes they require special permissions even to get into the area where we're going to run. So it's not only unique and very scenic, but it's also, it kind of requires a lot of planning and logistics that something like racing the planet and having a big company behind it is helpful. Yeah. How, how far apart are the aid stations? Like if someone got themselves in a difficult situation, how quickly are you guys able to be there and help them out? Well, it kind of depends. So Antarctica was a little bit different and in every way, but the other races that are in, like, as you said, the Gobi desert in China or Mongolia. So they've done a couple of races in the Gobi desert, both in Mongolia and China and the Sahara desert or the Atacama Desert in Chile and other places. Uh, The aid stations are about 10K apart. And then those can vary. Sometimes they're like 8K or 12K or 14K. We plan accordingly. Medically, we kind of plan accordingly and decide what is the required amount of water um, and gear people need to take 
but especially water between those checkpoints. Yeah. So frequent. You know, 10 K 12 K you know, we'll have four got four aid stations set up for about a marathon distance. Okay. But I mean, even a 10 K like, although like you're like, Oh, six miles, you know, in a lot of runners minds are like, oh, I can do that in like an hour or so. But when you're in the middle of the desert, I have to imagine, you know, it, it's a lot slower paced and it just takes longer to get there. Yeah. And sometimes those 10 K are climbing a lot of sand dunes. So it's literally, <laughs> you know, walking, but maybe even walking very slowly and with a backpack on and in your backpack is not only survival gear for the whole trip. So a sleeping bag, a survival mirror, bivy sack, and th- but also all of the food that you're going to eat for the week and really anything you need other than water. Wow. Wow. That's so, so what kind of food do people bring generally? It's kind of fun to watch actually because <laughs> the runners are from all over the world. And so you have a lot of um, Japanese runners with kind of dried fish. And then you have Italians and Spanish runners with cured ham and Parmesan cheese. And then of course, a lot of dehydrated foods and just foods that are meant for camping. Uh, a lot of things that are meant to be really high calories. So little packages of olive oil or chocolate, nuts, things that won't go bad. But we are given hot water at the end of every day and at the beginning of every day. So for breakfast and dinner, you can add hot water to a dehydrated meal and kind of just kind of slow cook something. But yeah, that's, that's so cool. So what, what, when you're planning this as a physician, what, what are the common things you're very like you're concerned about? So a lot of what we see are um, problems with the feet. So blisters, okay, sprained ankles, little muscle sprains. Uh, another thing that we focus a lot on because it's more dangerous than blisters is electrolytes and the, the balance of taking the right amount of electrolytes and taking enough water, but not too much water. So some of the things we've seen are electrolyte imbalances. If someone thinks they might be dehydrated and then decides to drink six liters of water to make up for it, that's super dangerous. And so we've seen that happen a few times. Yeah. What does that do to the body? Does it, it like I always hear it described as like, it basically like flushes out more, even more electrolytes at that point. Is that true or? Yeah. So basically you can't, you can't drink too much of something if it is the right concentration of electrolytes, similar to what your body has. So if you drink too much water, for example, it's the concentration of salt that decreases quickly. And it's the concentration that makes your brain maybe swell in response to that. And so you can have a seizure. So we did have some people have a seizure in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Um, oh, no. And, you know, you definitely don't want to be doing that. Um, and then, and so other things that can happen is where that is a little more common, but maybe less so now that everyone has been coached to drink a lot of water when you're running is just dehydration, normal dehydration that might happen because you're losing sweat and you're losing salt. So we usually recommend taking some salt tabs and kind of planning to train with those also. Um, it's, it's a little bit more acute when you're running in a desert. Most people are not training in a desert. So no matter how much you train, you probably haven't trained in that environment while carrying a bunch of stuff on your back. And so it's always a little bit of change. But for the most part, if we can kind of keep an eye on people and coach them to take breaks and really think of it as a long stage race and not try to run too fast, too, too hard. Um, that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What would happen if you accidentally took too many electrolytes, like the balance in the other direction? That is much easier to deal with. Okay. Um, You know, usually you're taking electrolytes by mouth and we, you know, nobody's ever died of eating too many, like three bags of potato chips. (laughs) (laughs) Take, you know, pour salt tabs. You won't feel good. 
but it doesn't usually, it's not as dangerous as taking too much water. And That's good to know. Cause I did a uh, like comparable, like desert stage race this summer. And I was thinking about that because, you know, I would, I would do the thing where if I started cramping up or if I started, you know, feeling it in my muscles, I would take an extra salt tablet. But then, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, what happens? I don't know what happens if I take too much. Yeah, if you take too much, your your body will start to look a little bit swollen. So okay. your eyes and around your fingers, and then you can kind of hold off on salt tabs and know that you need to drink a little bit, potentially drink a little bit more water if that if that's what you have done is taken some extra salt tabs. Yeah, because it's all about that balance, right? Between yeah. those two. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really about keeping track of what you as an individual is doing. That's really important to know, and that's kind of really important to help a physician be able to figure out what you did, um, because as you said, it, just the physical findings can be from kind of a lot of things, but it's um, if you know that, hey, I took an extra couple of salt tabs, and then, yeah, you probably need to drink some extra water to balance that out. Okay. Um, or at least not take salt tabs for a little while. Yeah. What? was the like you said seizures in the middle of the Sahara, which is maybe the scariest sentence ever spoken on this podcast. Um, what, like, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, you can, we can put in an IV and we actually give salt through the IV. Okay. That's, that's kind of like the main, the main treatment for it. Yep. That's the quick treatment. If someone is, if someone is seizing from low sodium, Okay. Um, as opposed to seizing from a seizure disorder, which ideally we would know about because we've reviewed everyone's medical history as the physician team. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You have to, they have to submit like a physical or, or some sort of. Yeah, what medications they're on. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I kind of want to hear a little bit before we get into Antarctica, because I'm just fascinated by Antarctica in general and it blows my mind that people actually run a stage race down there um but I do want to I do want to hear about your work you know you mentioned before we started talking like your focus is global healthcare and working internationally and I think that ties in really well with volunteering as the as the doctor for these racing the planet races yeah for sure um I think that makes maybe was part of my interest in doing it. I've just, I kind of find it very interesting to see different healthcare systems in different countries. And a lot of low and middle income nations don't have kind of what we're used to in a lot of Europe and the United States and Australia kind of higher income nations, which is like an ambulance will come if you call them and rush you immediately to the hospital where there's a doctor waiting. Um, and all of those pieces to the puzzle, the ambulance system, the person trained on the ambulance, and even to the point of having a doctor waiting are not to be taken for granted in a lot of countries. And that emergency care system um, development has not happened in a lot of places. And so that is part of what I work on at Stanford is working with countries and partners in both education projects and health system strengthening, but I also kind of consult for a adventure travel medical evacuation country uh, company that gets people out of tough situations when if they get acute mountain sickness or hate kind of uh, high altitude pulmonary edema while they're trying to climb a mountain. Yeah, need to be evacuated, and so I work on some cases uh, that are really interesting also in that kind of realm. Yeah. Well, and that it makes sense that, and I, this is like a whole aspect of adventure companies. I never even really considered, but it makes sense that these companies would need some, some sort of expert on, you know, what their, their emergency systems are. You know, if you're traveling in some country, you, you definitely 100% should know like, okay, if something goes wrong, hopefully it doesn't. But if it does, like, how am I going to get out or get help I need? Yeah. And maybe the choice is to take a taxi, but at least if you know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
like this hospital and they have this capabilities and that kind of thing. So it's something that can be outsourced to groups that are already doing that. That's helpful. But for the race in the planet, it's hard to even outsource that because no one goes to a lot of the places where racing the planet goes Yeah, it's kind of awesome. So we will do some of that research for them and they are actually gotten, they're really good at it too, identifying kind of medical partners that would be local to the area um, and including evacuation partners. Yeah. Is that, is that intimidating going in being like, I'm the person responsible for the safety of, of upwards of like 300 runners yeah i guess it could be i mean they are so healthy um that it's pretty rare that something really bad happens um we've had you know people fall and break bones or bust their head open yeah um but it's nothing like the sickness that we actually see in the emergency department every day so that makes sense seems a little bit less stressful yeah, definitely. I just, I, as I'm thinking about Antarctica, I'm like, man, there's like probably like what, what's the, uh, what's the plan in Antarctica? Well, on the boat, actually, okay. there's a small arsenal of medications and even the ability to put a breathing tube down someone and, you know, kind of ventilate them and there was actually an emergency medicine physician from Holland stationed on the boat. And then we took our own physician down uh, to the race in the planet to, for the whole race. And I did, I did not go as a physician on this race, but certainly as the third physician around, I would have helped out of something. Yeah. Um, but nothing did. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's get into it. So the Antarctic race is called the last desert. And it seems like uh, the people who are going, going out and trying to do all these races, the four desert races, this is the one that's the big uh, final conclusion. Um, And you went and you, you were able to guide for a blind competitor, which is just incredibly inspiring because he was completing his, his final desert. Yeah, he was great. Um, I had done another race with him uh, where we were both competitors and I, I was not his guide on that race, but I had met him there and a friend of mine was his guide. Um, so it was cool to be able to do that. Yeah. And so um, I, I'm hoping I'm not pronouncing his name wrong, but Vladmi Dos Santos. Yeah, Dos Santos. Uh-huh. Grande, Brazil. Yeah. So what, just a little bit of his story, what was what was the reason, like, what was his reason? What was his why? Why was he taking on these challenges? Um, you know, he, he was not born blind. He became blind at 34 years old. And then kind of after that started losing all of his sight. And um, before that he was in the Navy, worked with ships and was kind of a big runner and just athlete in general. And so I think it was, you know, I was just for him a dream that, Of course, I'm sure people told him he couldn't do even one desert ultramarathon. And so I think for him, it was sort of this trying to accomplish something that meant, you know, really, instead of being the blind guy in Dos Santos now or in Rio Grande, he was now like a champion of running these races. And he just has a really great attitude and like a pretty happy guy and so i think he just wanted something to work towards and and he's a great runner so yeah yeah that's awesome what what made you interested in because i know guiding someone has its own challenges along with the fact that you are also essentially doing all the miles with him yeah um it sounded just like a fun different challenge i mean i think i like trying to do things that are interesting and maybe hard. And I had done a couple of these already, these races, like three of them. Um, And just the idea of having to focus. I think what I like about trail running in general is that I have to kind of focus on your feet and find out where you're going to step. So road racing to me is a little more boring because you don't have to do that. You're not paying attention the whole time. And so I thought paying attention to guiding him and he just seemed like a really nice guy and maybe 
would and we would need a guide to be yeah. able to um sounded awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool. So I want to hear a little bit about the journey. Um um, how does how does one get to Antarctica? <laughs> yeah, it takes forever. So <laughs> the first you know, about twenty four hours getting from San Francisco all the way to Ushuaia through Buenos Aires, and I think I went through New York for some reason. Um, Wait, what? You went yeah. all the way from San Francisco to New York? I might have bought that on miles. I forget something <laughs> yeah. um, about the ticket, but um, and then from Ushuaia. It's about two and a half days by boat to Antarctica. Um, we started at King George Island and it was pretty rocky. There were a lot of waves. There was, I don't think it was considered a storm on the way down, but most people were a little seasick and not feeling great. Um, I put a scopolamine patch, which made me basically passed out and like a, sedative to me i think i overdosed on one little patch or something so i slept a lot of it but the way back we definitely had a storm and it was a lot of fun actually to see the ocean like that that's really cool and it's it's i correct me if i'm wrong but it's the drake passage right yeah, isn't drake that what it's called passage. yeah and that's like as someone who's read a bunch of books about shackleton and all the antarctic explorers like it's like a dream to be able to cross the Drake passage, even though I, at times I'm sure it's a nightmare because like you said, the waves are just insane. The storms are crazy there. Yeah. And it was fun. I, I had a book on Shackleton for that during the race. So I was reading, you know, running during the day and then reading about Shackleton almost freezing to death, like at night. And it made <laughs> seem not very hardcore you know <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah i really was out there yeah it, it puts it in perspective a little bit yeah definitely. Which, which is cool but man like 500 miles through the ocean and like i don't know it's just to me it seems like anything with antarctica it's still like such on the edge of what an adventure could be because you are just completely out there um so was did you have that feeling on the boat are you just like whoa we are getting further and further and further away from society right now yeah i don't think i realized how far away it was um and i it, i kept imagining the first time even that racing the planet went down there you know this idea of just going and having runners because you can Theoretically, you know, it takes a lot of work to find a safe passage in Antarctica because even on even if you're not on top of the glaciers, there's so much snow um, that, of course, there can be small avalanches, there can be hidden frozen ponds, or even just giant puddles that people could fall into. And so the amount of work that it took to even just find kind of a safe area is is it's wild to think about the first time that they went down there and think what they must have tried to had all the work that they had to do to make sure that it was safe and they haven't lost a person yet in a crevasse so that's good that's good did you talk to him about that at all um i mean i kind of had read about it and jo i joked about it mainly I, I don't think i wanted to know before <laughs> how how likely that was but yeah did you did you talk to them about also like the first time they went down there yeah yeah what what was that like kind of a private jet to take them a little bit farther i think they didn't go through the drake's passage that time um and about 15 so you have to qualify to be able to do the race in antarctica um you know i think that part of the reason is to hopefully not take someone all yes. the way to Antarctica and then figure out this is not for them. Um, so yeah. you have to have completed successfully two of their other desert races to be able to sign up for the race in Antarctica. And the first time they did this race in Antarctica, there were 15 people that had qualified to go, like 15 people that had completed two of the other desert races. And, and they were the only ones that were eligible to race on that Antarctic race, the first one, and they all signed up. <laughs> so they actually took every single person that was even eligible to go 
and they just did it as a super small group. Um, and I guess it worked out and it sounded like it went really well and was super fun. And Mary Gadams is kind of the brainchild of this company and the CEO of Race Planet and Four Deserts and lives in Hong Kong. And she's um, an ultra marathoner herself and super successful. And so she's had run a bunch of races and started this company. And so she was the adventurous spirit behind this whole crazy idea. And I, she, she was on this trip also. So it was really cool to hear about that from her. That's super cool. Well, it's the like craziest of all crazy ideas for a race director is let's go to Antarctica and run 250 kilometers. Yeah. That's so cool. So every night are you, you guys are headed back to the boat. You're sleeping on the boat. Is that how it worked? Yeah, there's a boat we kind of sleep in rooms with with a couple of roommate or two and bunk beds and actually they feed us um breakfast and dinner. So in that way it's different than the other staged races where we're carrying a lot of things. Um Antarctica has a, a lot of rules about keeping it pristine and so you're not really supposed to have food roaming around in Antarctica. What if we drop some and the penguins eat some? So we oh, yeah. are very careful about that. Um, and yeah, we go back to the boat and it's you know, a pretty small boat, but there were probably 250 people on it with us plus the staff and a few other guests. Um, but I mean, a lot of mostly sleeping once you got done with dinner and after being, after running for 10 or 11 hours. So yeah. Yeah. What, what's the course like? I mean, I, I looked at a couple videos recently and read up on their website you, you you go to different spots um in antarctica and you run like various loops yeah so they set up a, a new course every day and because of what i mentioned before about making sure it's safe and not in an avalanche prone area um you know it, it's not like the other races where you just go for 26 miles in a row um, it also makes it easier to check in on people and make sure that if they are, if they do need anything and they're not getting lost, we haven't really, we haven't lost anybody on the other races either, but if we did for a little bit, it wouldn't be as dangerous. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, so the course is mostly just, it was mostly snow, um, pretty deep, you know, a couple feet. And so the very first run or the first couple of loops you would be sinking your foot into like up to your knee or something um and then as it got packed down it was easier to run so yeah it was good i mean it actually two of the days were beautiful and a little bit sunny and not raining and then two of the days were pretty bad weather you know some rain we were walking even there were puddles there so our feet would go into the puddles and be soaking wet and then be pretty much frozen by the end of the day whoa so they have like feet thawing stations uh no you just sort of change socks every once in a while and it would be it was it was definitely the level of cold that would be pretty concerning to me if i wasn't going back to a warm boat every night but knowing that it, then it made it kind of fun because it was sort of like you could bring yourself to the point of this, this seems dangerous and then you kind of know it's not because you're going to go back and thaw out. It'll be fine. Yeah. That's what I love about ultra running events in general is because you do have that support crew there and you do have in the, you are like, I'm pushing my limits, but I'm doing this in a quote unquote, like safe way. Yeah. Like responsible yeah. way. Um, which is cool because you're right. Yeah, if you were out there and you're like, "Oh my God, I I'm gonna spend the night out here," like that would be bad news. Yeah, it definitely felt great to come back on the boat, and then we had little zodiacs to connect us from the the larger boat to the land. And every time we would go on a zodiac, we would pass by, um, you know, seals and penguins and icebergs and just beautiful scenery. So that's one thing that this company does really well is pick amazing spots with beautiful scenery and Antarctica was just ridiculously beautiful. So. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So when you're uh, running with Vladmi, 
are you guys talking the whole time or, or, you know, like, how is that? What, what's your, what's your tasks that you're going through as a guide? Yeah, we, um, we would talk some, it was depending on the weather, it, it was a little hard to hear because, you know, at some point it kind of almost felt like a blizzard and you have things covering your ears and it's just loud. But, um, also he speaks primarily Portuguese with a little English, a little Spanish. I speak Spanish and not, and a little bit of Portuguese. And so, and obviously English, but so we spoke me in Spanish, him in Portuguese, and then me kind of, Stating back what I think he was saying in Portuguese and Spanish. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, as a guide, I was mainly trying to warn him about things that like holes in the ground or something um, or tell him if a term turn was coming up. But the fun part about the Antarctica race, I think was we were able to run quite a bit because the, the terrain was forgiving you know yeah we we fell he fell i fell everybody kind of fell in the snow some but it it wasn't like we were falling onto dirt and rocks and so it was kind of fun to fall oh yeah i think he and i liked that part kind of a lot because we were able to run and i think he's not probably used to running that fast or you know very often in these races because he always has a guide and the guide is trying to be careful and it's hard to be careful when there's rocks everywhere um and so it was kind of fun to kind of increase the speed when the weather allowed and the path allowed because the it was just snow that we were going to fall on and yeah he was pretty tough that's kind of cool like he's able to throw caution to the wind a little bit yeah i think we were careful but it was also you know, when you're walking, you're running on snow and then you fall, if you fall, you fall to the side and then there's like three feet of snow. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Is so, I mean, you have to be 100% focused. So even the moments where you're getting tired too, you have to be 100% focused because you're going to have to be able to communicate and, and also doing all the like mental calculations of how to translate everything. Yeah, we had a little string connecting us um, most of the time so that he could sort of judge the distance between what he's hearing my feet do and what he's pulling on the string. So so sometimes I would get a little tug like, whoa, you know, (laughs) 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 I think something happened back there. Um, But yeah, it was fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what, What was the most difficult moment for you guys? Um, I think probably day one, but we sort of knew that and kind of anticipated it because usually on these races, day one, you have, you have the most gear because you have the most food that you're carrying and maybe you're not sure what the weather is going to be like. And, and never was that more true in Antarctica because I don't, I mean, I don't know. I didn't know how cold everything was going to be. So I carried just everything and I'm sure yeah. he did. Um, and that first day was on King George, which was a little bit less snowy and had more of the rocks and the puddles. So we were walking through puddles. And so we thought we would cover a lot more terrain than we did on the first day because the running lasted like, I don't know how long it was, but maybe nine hours or eight hours on the first day. Um, it was meant to be long. And then we all, all we finished was a marathon of distance that day. And so I think I thought, man, I thought we would have finished a lot more. And he was, it was happened to be his birthday that day also. And he, when we finished that amount and they were calling the end of the race for the day, he said, Oh, we finished a marathon on my birthday. This is the coolest thing ever. (laughs) And it just, it kind of set the tone for the rest of the week. Like I knew that he wasn't disappointed in or frustrated and we had carried all this stuff. And so we were just kind of excited that, yeah, now we know what gear we need. And so I would say the day one was the, was the hardest day. It was kind of like a blizzard periodically and raining. Um, and then by the next day we kind of had knew the drill a little bit better. Yeah. That's awesome though. Like that's the kind of attitude you have to have in those things. Yeah, it was great. His attitude was great. I think we just 
both were down there to have fun. And I don't, I don't think that we, either one of us thought we wouldn't finish, but yeah. you know, the best runners can have a bad day or a bad race or have something happen. And so, um, he was very excited to have finished the four desert series. And I probably never thought I would do the race in Antarctica. <laughs> and now I've done three of the four desert series. So now obviously I have to do the last one. So. Which one's that? Um, the one, probably the Namibia desert, the one that the Sahara, now they do the Sahara race in Namibia instead um, because of the politics in Egypt. But Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You definitely have to do it, obviously. Yeah, no. And Vlad says he wants to come volunteer for the race if I run the one in Namibia. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that kind of ex- spirit is infectious, you know, like, I, I guess if you imagine a scenario where either one of you was like kind of bummed or kind of down on that first day, like it might've affected the next day, which might've affected the whole entire week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. We both were just excited to be on the whole thing and see like what everybody else was doing and just be down in Antarctica. So good. That's so cool. So like you mentioned weather wise, was that as big of a deal as you thought it was going to be like as big of a challenge? Um, yeah, I guess it was, I don't know what I expected, but, um, I learned on the last day that waterproof socks were the way to go um, <laughs> as I changed normal socks all week long and, thought, and this is really cold, but, um, yeah, it did seem some, in some ways it seemed like all of the gear that was meant to be completely waterproof was basically just soaked. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it's good to, yeah, we had, we changed things, but you also didn't want to stop for very long to do anything and you know if we just kept going and kept walking that was that seemed like the best thing to do so yeah is there anything i mean i guess gear wise but just in general what would if you if you ever did this race again what would you do differently um yeah i would do waterproof shoes and socks and probably a couple of extra pairs of gloves as they got soaking wet um but yeah it was i don't know i mean i could train more and then try to run more but i mean i don't really even care about that (laughs) yeah 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 that's and that's something like i think if people had no idea what it felt like to be in a stage race or one of these like really long events i think that's something that would surprise most people is they would probably be more of the mindset of like, I bet people are going down there to compete and like really race and stuff. And whereas the majority of us are just like, no, we want to have like a really fun adventure and enjoy it. You know, if it, if that means taking our time and going at a little slower pace, then so be it. Yeah. I mean, there's some, um, there's definitely some professional runners that have done some of these races. Um, but the prize is a medal, you know, there's not behind it. And so, a lot of them don't waste their time with it if they are in the middle of their circuit trying to make money as a runner, which is pretty hard to do anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's been kind of fun to see there'll be some really strong runners. And then there's a lot of people that are in it for the vacation of it, which it sounds crazy. And certainly they are, you know, everybody who goes is a pretty strong runner, but it is kind of true that when you're down there, you just mainly it's enjoyable. And so it's hard to get really worked up about trying to be number one. Yeah, exactly. Um, did you come away from the experience? Like, I don't know, like learning anything new about, like, did you, what, what kind of takeaways are you leaving with after this thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this last trip, particularly was just super interesting about leading, you know, working so closely with Vlad and just helping somebody do something so amazing. I think it was a good reminder that I just really love doing that. I love like whether it's helping patients in the hospital, just kind of helping somebody do something that's hard for them um, and kind of helping them maintain their dignity throughout that I think is just, 
like a great thing. And I feel lucky to be able to do that a lot. That's so cool. Well, what kind of uh, advice would you give someone if, if just in general about going after their own goals and maybe their goal isn't necessarily running a stage race in Antarctica, <laughs> even though it should be, that sounds like an awesome goal, but, but like, what would you kind of tell them as like a support or, or just something that they might not, you know, have expected when they first set their goal? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people and myself included, even if when I heard about this particular, um, adventure, I, you know, my gut reaction was like, yeah, I don't really need to think about this. This is, I'm doing this. And then you, and I think a lot of people have that about a goal, like this is something I really want to do. And then you start thinking about all of the logistics and how hard, well, then I would have to do this and then I have to plan for this. And so, um, and that happened to me too, when I started thinking about, oh man, I need to get out of work. I need to do organize this. I need to get some gear together. And I think that's might be the point at which some things get derailed. Um, and so I like to just kind of remind myself of the initial excitement and initial how excited I was and just say, no, like you just got to, you got to get through all the details and all the not fun parts of this overall goal because you're so excited about doing it. Just kind of keep at it. I guess it's like a perseverance thing where you just keep at working at the non-fun parts to plan for some outrageous goal that you yeah. want. It's totally worth it in the end. It, you know, it's always seems overwhelming at some point, but like, yeah, I try to remind myself of the, the gut that was trying to do something cool. No, that's so, that's really good advice. I, I've experienced that in the past where you're super pumped when you sign up and then as race day approaches, you kind of get like, there's so much to do and there's so many boxes to check that it's almost overwhelming. And you're like, let's just get this thing started so I can have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for, for spending some time and sharing your story. Um, Vlad sounds like, just such an inspirational, unbelievable guy. And, you know, I read a bunch of the articles that uh, Racing the Planet was putting out about his goal and you helping him and all of that. And it's, it is just such a wonderful reminder, like, like assist people in achieving their goals. Like don't be a roadblock, be someone who's going to like help them along their ways. Yeah. And he, he gives speeches actually inspirational talks in brazil to you know schools or churches or i don't i don't know all the places but um yeah one of the days that it was so cold my hands were so cold and i was like so you give inspirational talks <laughs> how about one right now you know give me one <laughs> but he would be a great uh person for you to interview too because he's 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 a great guy and he um does these talks it'd be really interesting to hear them yeah, I would love that. That'd be so, that'd be really, really cool. So thank you so much. Uh, yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll have to, if you do all four deserts, I would love to hear about your experiences doing the other ones, you know? Yeah. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the show this week. Uh, Rebecca, it was such an honor talking to you. Uh, and really, really fun to hear about. I, I think I mentioned in the show, I'm an Antarctic nerd. I've been like, especially over this last month, I've been consuming like all things Antarctica. Uh, and so to hear about someone that went down there to do a stage race, which is one of my absolute favorite adventure events. Um, and then also to do something where they're supporting someone else. And the whole goal is, is really like this shared goal of helping someone who is already just an incredibly uh, inspiring person um like all of that combined just made made this uh just an awesome episode for me you know to inspire me along my goals um and i think it's really cool because i'm a huge believer um and, and we've been teaching about this mindset to our middle schoolers about uh the idea of live to give uh and i'm a huge believer in that if you're 
out there and you're giving yourself to other people and you're supporting them, uh, so many amazing things are going to happen to you as well. Um, and Rebecca's like the perfect example of that. She learned, you know, she helped out uh, Vlad me, but I'm sure it was him helping her out along the way too. And, you know, I know she's came just with any, like with any adventure, but especially this one, uh, you would have to come back with all of these lessons and kind of ideas that you're going to apply to the rest of your life. So, um, super, super cool there. Uh, like I said at the beginning, all of these races are, uh, that she mentioned are from the racing the planet series. And I got it. I mean, go, if you go to their website, racing or follow their Instagram or anything like that, um, these places look incredible. Uh, I'm getting the travel bug. I think where I'm like, oh man, I'm getting the itch to go somewhere really, really cool and and just go explore. And that's one of my favorite things in the whole entire world is just going to to a new place and exploring. And you know, when you go travel, it seems like all of a sudden you're living in the moment. It kind of forces you to live in the moment. And so travel, you know, if you go somewhere for a week. You like you travel to a new country for a week to you, you almost perceive it as like a month because you're not zoning out. You're not in your normal routine. You're like taking it all in. Um, and so one of these races heading out to the desert for a week, uh, wherever it may be. And, and even I'm looking at their, their schedule. I think their next one is in New Zealand. Um, heading out to an area you've never been to, you're going to take it all in. It's going to, it has to be a life-changing experience. Like I said, I've never done one of these races, but it has to be one of those experiences you talk about when you're, when you're talking with your grandkids. So, uh, check those out. And then their series is the, the Ford desert series. Um, like I said, I was first exposed to this um, as I'm sure most of you were, um, from the documentary Desert Runners, which was absolutely incredible. So uh, highly recommended there. All right, guys, I got to wrap up. Um, if you enjoyed this week's episode, uh, go back, check out some of our other ones. I guarantee you, you will, uh, you'll find something to like for sure. Um, another one where we talked, actually kind of the person who connected me with Rebecca's story was Zandy Mangold. Um, go back and check that one out. He's been a photographer for a lot of these races as well. So, uh, just kind of a, a natural link there. If you're looking for another one, one of these to listen to. All right, guys, I hope you guys have a beautiful week of adventures and we'll get back at you next week.